Heavenly Father, we thank you, as we have heard already this morning, that as we gather with one another on a Sunday morning in your presence to worship you, it doesn't matter how we feel, what our circumstances are, you are still God. You still rule and you reign. You still love us. And fathers, we gather to hear from you this morning, from your word. We pray that into our circumstances, into what is going on in our lives today as individuals and as a church, that we would know more of you, that we'd hear from you, that you would encourage, that you would grow us in our faith and in our witness in the world. And we pray, Father, this morning that you would be glorified in all that we, all that we do and say. Please speak this morning by your grace. Prepare our hearts to hear from you, to receive your word. Amen. When I was at university and part of the Christian Union, a phrase went round which was unity in diversity. Unity in diversity. One of the slogans that the leaders of the Christian Union used to repeat. It was said that the unique thing of a, of a CU among all the different university societies, was that he was made up of a huge range of different people, all different from one another, and probably wouldn't be friends with one another if it wasn't for the fact that they were Christians. It was often said that the Christian unity was a real powerful witness when it comes to sharing the good news of Jesus to those around them. And this morning, as I look out at the congregation here, I see diversity amongst us as well. We are all different. We're from different places and different cultures. We all speak different languages, some of us. We have different personalities and different interests. We're all of different ages. We're different from one another. And yet, for, for many of us, the one thing that unites us is Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And I wonder, have you ever thought, such diversity, and how do we stay united? How does church work made up with such a mixed bag of people? We're different, but yet we also, we, we sin and we let one another down and we get on one another's nerves, perhaps. We face pressures all around us, and these, of course, will cause tensions and disputes. There will be disagreements and there will be pressures amongst, among us. Well, as we've been reading through 1 Thessalonians, we've explored the relationships going on there. And we've seen this young church, fresh in its faith, but immediately hit with opposition. But we've seen a church that's doing really well. Chapter 1 tells that they're famous in the area, famous for their faith and their love and their hope. But think about it, they're also a church that is made up of people who are very different from one another. Maybe people who, they didn't know one another before they came to Christ. They're different personalities and they're definitely different cultures. The church is made up of Jews and non-Jews, people who wouldn't associate with each other at all. But yet now, because they believed in Jesus, they are suddenly this spiritual family. Together, they are spiritual brothers and sisters. How is that going to work? 
In a church, like in any human grouping or organization, there are going to arise conflicts between one another. But if this morning, if you are a Christian, if you're somebody who has trusted in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, then you are part of the church family, globally, universally, but yet also here in Oxford, the church family at Magdalen Road. And, and as any family, there's responsibility, isn't there, to, to love one another, to care for one another, to help one another grow, to live for Christ in the world around us. And I think as Paul gets to the end of his letter in this last little section, he gives what seems to be this random list of commands, 19 commands he gives. But I think he's wanting to remind the Thessalonians that, that they're family. Brothers and sisters together, family under God, who is their heavenly father. And as a family, they are to live in relationship with one another and with him. And as they do that, with God's help, they can work through conflicts. They can help one another in difficult times. They can overcome the world as we wait for Jesus to come back. And so this morning, I want us to think about that theme, uh, living life in the family of believers. And we're going to look at 19 points. No, we're not. Don't, don't worry. Just three. Although 19 points would be quite fun, wouldn't it? You know, it'd take us into lunchtime. Three points, all ending with the word ship. Relationship, worship, and partnership. Paul, as he goes through the letter, is continuing to speak to the whole church. We see at the end of the passage how the letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And the first thing he wants to share with them is that they are in relationship with their, their leaders. Yeah, let's read from verse 12 together. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. We're in relationship, and Paul here in these first two verses talks about our relationship with the church, with its leaders. Paul asks to, to acknowledge them, to simply take note, to respect, to, to see. Verse 13, to hold them in a high regard because of their hard work among you. That we don't know, but presumably there was an issue between leaders and the church. Some kind of tension that was going on. Maybe it was jealousy. Some wanted to be leaders and weren't. Maybe people in the church didn't agree with those who had been raised up as leaders. Maybe the problem was on the leadership side. They weren't doing a good job at leading. There were complaints. People didn't like being told what to do, perhaps. But Paul says, in these relationships, there needs to be respect. An honor for those who work hard among you. Who does Paul say, how does he describe these people who rule over? So they are those who care for God's people. Those who teach, admonish, those who instruct and correct in the right things to believe on the Bible, on the right way to behave for God. 
They are those who work hard to encourage and build up the church. And we've seen that in Thessalonians already, those that do this sort of thing. From my observation of of looking at modern road church, there are many here who work very hard to love and to care for us. There are those who give many hours to lead and to teach, preparing and organizing for the staff, it, it's their job. They, we work in the office during the week. But, but of course, let's acknowledge those who do work beyond the working hours, those who have jobs but yet work so hard in evenings and at weekends to love and care and encourage the church, who give their time and their energy, who care and instruct one another. They do it not for themselves. They do it because they love you and want to see you grow in faith. And so... I want to honour that and respect that. I don't think this is just purely talking about the, the main leaders of the church, but I think we think of those who care and, and instruct. We think of junior church teachers, perhaps, who've just left the room. Those who've gone to love and to care and to instruct young children, teaching them about Jesus so they grow up to know truth. Home group leaders, and of course many others, as well. To live a life in the family of believers together is to, to live at peace with one another, as Paul says here. To live at peace with those perhaps who do have a position of leadership. So let's, let's honour, let's, let's give thanks to those who work hard. But of course when there are issues perhaps with those, between those who lead and those who, who don't, we need to live at peace and to work out those differences well. Of course, a leader can't expect respect if they lead badly. And so leaders, we, we need to be good models of loving and of caring our brothers and sisters. Being a leader is not about being more important than anybody else. It's not about telling people what to do. But being a leader is helping one another to grow in faith, to, to be like Jesus, who washed the disciples' feet, who was humble, who gave himself sacrificially. And those two things work together, the relationships between those who, who lead and those who are in the church, they work in, in peace. And Paul is encouraging them to love one another. And then he goes on, secondly, more generally, to to relationships with one another in the church. Remember for a moment the situation of Thessalonica, those of you who've been here, those of you who haven't. Again, this is a, a young church that's facing opposition. They're, they're just learning about Jesus and what it means to follow him. They're facing trouble from those who don't like Jesus, the other Jews around them who are saying, don't believe this stuff, come back to Judaism. We saw... Last week, there are, there are those in the church who are, who are concerned and worried about what happens to our family who have died, and yet Jesus hasn't returned yet. There's, there's confusion about, about how that works. There were those who were then dis, disheartened by the trials, by sufferings, those who, who were weak. We saw a couple of weeks ago, there were those who were idle and disruptive, people who have given up their jobs because... If Jesus is coming back, then we don't need to work because he's going to come and we should enjoy life 
But yet they still need to live, don't they? So they were kind of scrounging off other people and being disruptive. These are the, the tensions that Paul addresses in these verses. Let's read them, verse 14. Paul says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with one another. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. There are, there are difficulties. There are struggles, like in all churches. But people aren't to go through struggles and difficulties Intentions aren't just to remain, but as a family, Paul is encouraging the church there and, and us this morning that we are to help one another through them, to encourage those who are struggling, to, in love, correct those who are straying and who are, who are in sin. Paul speaks these specific things to Thessalonica, but, but I wonder what would Paul say to Morden Road Church if he was writing to us final instructions for you, things to help you grow as a church, what would be the things he would address? <laughs> what tensions arise in church life? Well, there's always going to be things that we disagree on. Differences in theology, perhaps. Style of music. Communication between one another. Unanswered emails. Andy Taylor, who keeps asking me to fill out rotors in the church. Whatever the tension is, whatever the situation is, there is a way that as Christians we should respond to one another. As we warn and encourage and help and be patient. They're all positive words to help build the church. And so that is our relationship as brothers and sisters is to build one another up. To visit those who are sick, to encourage the young Christians, to strive to be patient with those who are different. Living in the life of the believer, living life in the family of believers in relationship. And then Paul moves on to think about our relationship with God. And we think about worship. Our worship together as we as we live our lives, as we've just said, in the ups and downs, in the struggles, in the difficulties, those things will have an effect on our relationship with God. I mean, you will know that from your experience. You will know that because you don't arrive to church on a Sunday morning every time feeling exactly the same way. As Jog began the service, he mentioned there are different ways, different frames of minds, different situations that we may be in, that affect our mood when it comes to church. We might well rather be at home eating chocolate. As we live life, life that is tough, how do we respond when we hear Paul say words like this in verse 16? That in our worship, rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
our worship to God in prayer for any church, let alone the Thessalonians facing difficulties, to be told to always be rejoicing, to always give thanks. That's a hard thing to, to do. But as we heard just now in Stu and Hannah's testimony, in the midst of difficulty and hardship, there are reasons that we can rejoice to give thanks, not for the circumstances, but in the midst of them, there is hope and there is life. There is purpose and meaning. We're not able to often do things about our circumstances sometimes, but we can pray to a God who can do something about our circumstances. A God who is powerful and who is in control one who we can trust knows and is working out his purposes. And even though we don't know what's going on and we can't understand, we can, we can give thanks. We can give thanks because in Christ there is hope. I don't know about you, but I know that for me when life is tough, when I arrive on a Sunday morning and I perhaps don't want to be here, when I'm reminded of who God is from his word through the songs that we sing, I can rejoice. There are things to give thanks for. And of course I come to pray because I'm, I'm in need of God's help. I'm in need of your help. Together, one another, Stu and Hannah again, shared how they are so thankful for the family of believers who care and have loved them and have provided in their needs. We live in a world that has trouble. But friends, it is only the Christian who can have true life and true peace and true hope in the midst of our struggles. Do you know that life, life that really satisfies? Do you know peace in the chaos? Do you know a hope for your future beyond the grave? Do you know a love that is unconditional? doesn't matter what you've done. God's love remains. Do you know that? As we come to worship this morning, those of us who are Christians, we do sometimes arrive with heavy burdens on our shoulders. But we come to a God who take that burden from our shoulders and can help us. Paul says this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus, that we don't be Christians that stay away and deal with our hardship, that walk away from him, but that we are Christians who come with the family of believers to worship our God who helps us through the difficulties. Our worship. Living life in the family of believers, our worship to God in prayer, but then also our worship as we receive from God. And specifically here, Paul talks about prophecy. Let's read together verse 19. Paul says, don't quench the spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good and reject every kind of evil. Prophecy, that uh, fascinating but of course controversial topic. 
We'd all love to know lots about prophecy, but unfortunately we don't have time this morning to explore it in great detail. Presumably there was, there was an issue going on in Thessalonica with, with this. Paul doesn't make it a major part of his letter, so we can't make it a major part of our sermon. But generally Paul is saying, don't quench the spirit, don't, don't hinder, don't dumb down what God is wanting to do amongst his people as he speaks. Here specifically it was prophecy, people were holding it with contempt, meaning that they were hearing things, people were, were giving messages, claiming that this is a message from God, but they weren't listening. They didn't care what was being said, they, they weren't believing it, they weren't believing the word itself, or they weren't believing that it was from God. We'll think about why in just a moment. But of course, I need to say that if, there are of course many different views about prophecy in terms of how it works today. But my middle-of-the-road view is that it seems that in the New Testament, all sorts of different people were giving prophecies. It wasn't just apostles or leaders, but all were encouraged to prophesy. It wasn't to be Holy Scripture, to be written down in the Bible, but it was still God speaking to his people through his people. And in 1 Corinthians 14, if you want to explore that yourself, Paul tells us that prophecy was supposed to be a word of, of edification for the church, of, of exhortation, of encouragement. They're words to build us up, to help us, to lead us as we live our lives for him. Prophecies were those words unknown to the speaker, but they had a specific message that was to lead people to repentance, lead people to, to follow Jesus. But, but of course, even like in the Old Testament, this gift could be abused and presumably was being abused in Thessalonica. To claim that your words come from God has a bit of a power to it and people can claim anything comes from God when it's not really. Perhaps people were saying a word from God and yet it contradicted with his words and it's it was sinful, it was unbiblical. And so therefore, rightly, people were a bit suspicious of these things. They, they became cynical. And anything they heard that was claimed to be a prophetic, they would just ignore it and, and put it down and, and walk away. But Paul is telling the church here, don't treat prophecies with contempt. Don't just dismiss it, good or bad, we should test it. Take each word as it is and, and see whether it is good or bad. So is it something that's encouraging, edifying, exhorting? Does it build us up and grow us? Is it, of course, biblical? The Holy Spirit will never contradict what he's said in his written word. The Bible is our ultimate authority. But is it helpful do others in the church agree that perhaps God is speaking here? He's showing us something. And then when we have tested it, we hold on to what is good. We reject what is evil. And when I prepare a sermon, when I come to preach on a Sunday morning, my prayer is that God would speak through me to you prophetically. And what I mean by that is that, that simply something that, that I say without me knowing it will be really specific for you. I know your lives and 
but I don't know every detail, and sometimes God does use the preacher to hit home something that's really important to you. God is speaking, and when he speaks, we need to obey what he says. But whatever your thoughts, whatever your beliefs of these things, the main point here for us is, the main point of the sermon is that as we live life together in relationship with one another, brothers and sisters, we are to do it with love, and we are to therefore speak with love. And, and in our worship, when we receive from God, he is only going to say things which are good for us, which are helpful. And so we should share those things which are good and helpful for one another. Living life in the family of believers, our relationships together, our relationship with God and we've seen, as we've read through this letter, we need those two things. We need God, of course, first and foremost. He is God. He is our Father. He's the one whom we put our trust in. We are in relationship with him because of Jesus Christ. But that's not in isolation. That is together. As a family, brothers and sisters, spiritual brothers and sisters. And so, thirdly, Paul moves on and he talks about Life in the family believers in partnership together, in partnership together. I think one of the dangers of a passage like this, of a sermon when you have lots of commands, it's very easy for it to become a sermon of, of things that you have to do. We can leave the building at the end of the service and we can take a deep breath and we can say, okay, let's go. Let's go and do this stuff. Or we could leave the building at the end of the service and breathe out a sigh and think, man, I, I can't do this. This is, this is too hard. Well, friends, if you left with either of those two thoughts, then I would have failed this morning because they would be wrong. Although as Christians we have work to do, of course, let's not shy away from that. It is God, as we see in these verses, it is God who helps us. And it is God who is at work within us as we live out our relationships with one another and with him. Let's read verses 23 and 24. Paul prays for the church and he says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Those encouraging, comforting words. Remember, a few weeks ago, we looked at Paul's other prayer at the end of chapter 3, and we noted that prayed. Paul prayed that the Thessalonians would, would increase and overflow in love for one another. But remember that the beginning of the verse says, Paul prays that the Lord would make our love increase and overflow. He prayed that it would be God who strengthened our hearts so that we would be blameless before him. It is God's will that we be sanctified, be holy, be like Christ, we saw that a couple of weeks ago in chapter 4. 
In that context, it was about sexuality, but in general, it is God's will for us to become more and more like Jesus in everything in our lives, to be growing and maturing as we wait for, for his return. And here at these verses at the end of the letter, he reminds us and he encourages us again that, that it is God who is at work in us and through us. He is the one who makes us more like Christ sanctifies us, purifies us, removes the dross, convicting us of sin so we can grow in Christ-likeness. He's the one who changes our hearts. He's the one that molds and shapes us. He's the one who makes us beautiful in his sight. But of course, we will, we will never be fully there in this life. And so Paul also prays that Jesus will be the one who keeps us. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless. All of us. We're saved by Christ, but we're also kept by him as we live by his grace day by day. We've already thought, haven't we, several times in this letter that, that as Christians we have this hope as we wait for the return of Christ We've noted also that when Christ comes, he's coming as judge. He's coming to bring his wrath on those who have rejected him. Without Christ, we stand condemned before him. But yet in Christ, through faith in what he has done for us at the cross, paying the price for our sin, rising from the dead to give new life, in him we can stand before a holy, righteous God confidently, completely. And we can look forward to that day, whenever that day will be. We can look forward confidently that we're not only just been saved in the past, but that God is helping us and growing us and keeping us ready to present us fully on that last day. And we can trust him because he's faithful and he will do it through our circumstances, through the difficulties, through the trials, through the hardships, the ups and the downs. It is him who keeps us. And of course, this prayer in verses 23 and 24 doesn't negate the task of carrying out verses 12 to 22, but it helps us. So friends, as we draw to the end of both the letter and our sermon, Paul finishes with words of partnership amongst the, the church itself. As we reflect on all that God has been teaching us the last five or six weeks, the lessons that we've learned about living in relationship together, living life, as we head out to, to serve Christ, we go, as you've just heard, in his power, in his strength, with his help, with the Holy Spirit. But we go also together. Look down to verse 25. Paul says, brothers and sisters, pray for us. Greet all God's people with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers and sisters. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. So partnership, God with us, but then the church with one another. 
three final commands that Paul gives. Paul asks to please pray for him. Don't forget him. He's not there with them as part of that church, but he is elsewhere, traveling around. He's preaching the gospel. He's discipling new Christians, teaching them about Jesus. But he needs God too. He will face opposition. He will struggle with sin. Often he may be lonely and not in partnership with churches, but he needs prayer. And so as we go out to live and serve Christ, we hear God's word, but we don't go alone. We go together to help and encourage and equip one another in love. Then he says, greet God's people with a holy kiss or with a handshake or a hug or whatever it is you're comfortable with. Paul doesn't simply mean here that say hi to Christians when you see them. Greeting is it's deeper than that. We're family. So we should love one another and care for one another. Greeting is taking an interest in one another's lives. It's being there. It's helping. It's, it's crying with you. It's, it's providing and in helping and praying. And that's the privilege of being in the church. Being a part of a family is that we have one another to help. So let's take time to take an interest in one another's lives as we live together. And then finally, says, Paul says, read the letter to everybody. And that's just simply reminding us that, that all of this stuff is for all of us. It's not just for leaders. It's not just for those who are mature. It's not just for those who've been here a long time, but it's for all of us who trust in Christ. Part of the family together to grow to help one another with his strength to be ready for the day that Jesus comes back. And so, as Paul ends, verse 28, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you and be with us all. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that as we address you in prayer, we call you Father. Because that is, that is who you are, that is how you relate to us. You treat us as your precious children. You do that because of the Lord Jesus who has done what was needed to remove the barriers between us and you and we can know you in perfect relationship. And we thank you this morning that that all of us who have done that are family. We are brothers and sisters together, and you call us to live with one another. Oh, Lord, we know that as we wait for the Lord Jesus to return, we will face difficulties. We will face tensions amongst us. We will face opposition from the world, and therefore we, we need you. We need your help, and we need one another that we may grow and become more like Christ. We thank you that Jesus is coming back one day. We long that it would be soon, but please, by your grace and in the power of your spirit, build this church, 
May this church be a powerful witness to the community around us that true life is found in you. Amen.